We've been here. This is how valid is the validity. Hey everybody, welcome to How Valid is the Validity, episode sort of eight. Tonight we're going to have a recap from an interview that I did last year with a great photographer, an AP photographer for National Geographic, New York Times, numerous others. Um, it was a great interview and one interview that I felt like didn't get out enough. So we're going to replay that tonight uh, because we have our first job tonight. Uh, the Chris Weaver Band's playing uh, in Nashville downtown uh, tonight. And uh, I wish we could do it live, but it's just too too damn loud. Anyway, next week, we're going to have Tyler Reeve on the show. He's a, a Nashville hit singer-songwriter, um, and Phil will be here, Andy. We're going to be talking about numerous uh, things with him, songs he's written, uh, what's going on in, in the current uh, day. I, I'm kind of glad, honestly, that we didn't get to have a necessarily a live show tonight because uh, this week has just been interesting. Uh, the Grammys uh, were so upsetting to me that I just couldn't even watch uh, some of the things that people were talking about as far as Cardi B and, uh, you know, the performance with WAP and, you know, because we've talked about this numerous times on the show, um, just how, how fine you want to make this, make the song and you want to make that sort of music and so be it. Um, but then, you know, you have a, a picture uh, of these two women on stage that looks like they're, they're in bed uh, because it's a giant bed, essentially. And, and I don't know if you watch, uh, you know, many uh, bad movies as far as, well, I mean, they're good movies. They're just considered bad, whatever the case is, where women do things uh, with each other. There was a lot of that uh, innuendo on stage with this performance or whatever. There is there is this calling out uh, about being, um, you know, what, what, what you can't say to somebody because is it because she's African-American that you can't say anything? Is it because she's a woman? Is it because she... Uh, what what is it? Why is that okay? But but instead of dealing with these types of issues and what's available to children and, and really anybody to watch this stuff, uh, you know, especially with something like the Grammys, uh, that you know it, it really encompasses all types of music. So you're 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 really trying to get numerous ages and numerous uh, demographics to watch the program. Yet this is one of the main uh, main videos of the whole thing. It was just really interesting. And so point being is that, you know, why are we going back into the thirties and forties and fifties and sixties to try to, to try to make sure that everybody knows those things were bad. And these, that, a, that a, a guy that had a yellow tint in a Dr. Seuss book needs to come off the, off the shelf. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying that the, that the issue, I'm saying that it shouldn't matter. It should stay on the shelf if Cardi B can act like she's got something in between her legs uh, with another woman on national television uh, and there's no disclaimer, there is, there is no disclaimer. We got, these, these are, these are the types of things that you are seeing now as far as the, the woke, but overall, I don't see this stuff. You know, I, you know, the, the, the face mask wearing and people jamming themselves into stores on purpose uh, without a face mask and people yelling at them and talk, telling them they're going to hell and all this other kind of thing. I just don't see this stuff unless you're absolutely going after it. You know, if you're going after, if you're if you're trying to make a concerted effort to piss somebody off, it's really not hard right now. You know, road rage in Nashville is is through the roof. I mean, people are getting shot uh, because, and and I've seen it. I mean, I've I, two two times I've seen it where, you know, people are are losing their shit while they're driving, um, and you know the whole point, the whole everything. You know, the authorities are telling you not to. 
uh, not to, you know, get involved with it. If somebody's, if it happens to answer on that, that happens to you, um, is to get the hell out of there. Um, and you got to, cause people are, are frustrated and, and kind of losing their minds and they do it in their vehicles and that's bad enough. But if somebody has got a gun, um, you know, there's going to be a freaking shootout. And I always wondered this and I wish, uh, Andy was here to help me with that, but the thing about it is, if you shoot a gun off in a car, does that not bust your eardrums? I always, always wondered that. The, the stimulus checks are coming out right now, and I don't understand uh, the how they were calculated. I, I've been trying to get a, a little bit of a, a firm grip and uh, understanding how these things were calculated, but I think it's something somewhere around the $72,000 mark, and you weren't supposed to get anything. Um, but then I've heard all kinds of people getting different amounts and and still getting things that made over. I'm not exactly sure how it all worked out. I do know that when we talk about crazy people, that there was a man in Missouri that wanted his girlfriend's stimulus money. I guess they had three children together, uh, wanted his girlfriend's stimulus money, and she said no. And so he decided to shoot her and most of the family and take the money himself and and head on out. I, I think that that is really the epitome of where we're at now uh, in the sense that you know, we've talked about this before, where if you're on the, everybody has the chance to snap, right? Everybody has the opportunity to really lose their shit. And, and, and there's some people that do that and, and they don't do anything necessarily, luckily to hurt somebody else. Uh, you know, they may hurt themselves or, or they may get arrested and have to deal with that kind of situation. And then there are other people that, that when, when, and if they snap, it's not beneficial to anybody in society. Um, and so this this whole COVID thing, uh, whether it's affected you or, or not, and I don't mean just by people dying, but I mean just affected your mental state because what you're seeing is now is is these mental problems uh, of people that have some, you know, that were kind of already on the edge anyway of depression or suicide or whatever the case is, including children, uh, for God's sakes, uh, you know, starting to bloom and blossom and 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 to, and to flourish and to start to come to the surface. Um, and the sad part about it is in that aspect, you don't have to be, you could be cautious all you want, but you're not going to, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, your, your chances of really getting into a situation that you wouldn't want to be in right now have gone up because of this stuff. Um, and it's not going away. Uh, you know, it's as, as employer, as employers start to, uh, rehire some of these jobs are are not going to be for the type of person that sat in the office. Um, and a lot of people up to 30% uh, are numbers that they're throwing around right now before COVID. I think it was 5% uh, of, of people worked from home for their job. And, and now, you know, companies are reporting that, that up to 30% of their workforces of people that went to offices are going to be staying home. Um, this is, this is not only going to affect certain people that maybe not have the ability to do that, uh, may not function well at home. Uh, this is the problems are going to be endless. It's it, you're going to have to start a Netflix series uh, just for uh, all the documentaries that are going to come out uh, from this. I, the other the other issues are uh, right now of the time, and it's just kind of. I don't know whether to be pissed off or just I'm, I'm kind of just pissed off. And, and here's why 
because politics aside, Biden, Trump, uh, uh, Serengeti or numbnuts or whatever the hell it is, AOC or 911 or whatever the hell it is that you're upset about or pissed off about. The, the, the true issue is that over time, whether whoever's in office, it doesn't really matter. It's the same stupid shit time and time again. The, the thing that's happening at the border right now, if as a Republican, for instance, all the, all the shit that was given to Trump about uh, ripping children away from their parents and putting them in, 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 in camps and, and, all, uh, and, and stopping the money from the, the funding of the wall and all these kind of things or the money for the building of the wall. And now we're starting to see that now Biden's administration is going to shut down the wall, uh, shut down the border. So now you can't come in the United States from other countries because it's just become a crisis. It's become something that we can't handle. And people think that because Biden's in office based on things that he has said, uh, that you can just come up here within 100 days and you're going to get let off into the United States. Now, I don't, it doesn't matter what your thoughts are about uh, letting people into this country. My grandmother was from Nicaragua. I'm not exactly sure how she got in here, but she definitely didn't climb a wall. There's probably a tunnel because she was very small. But regardless, I mean, I have nothing to say about people trying to come to this country. The issue is now, especially that if you're still concerned about COVID, is letting them in this country with COVID. Not only that, parents were sending their children, mostly, uh, uh, you know, around the 16, 17, 18 mark, but some younger than that with their older siblings sending them without them with this idea that we're not going to be ripping children away from their parents and putting them in the same buildings and camps that that Trump was putting people in. But you're not hearing anything about it now. Republicans don't say anything and liberals don't only say something when it's not necessarily going that direction. And the issue becomes we all need to say something about the fact that we're not saying anything. That nothing is really being said when we, because you're wasting people's time listening to jargon and, and news that that 24 hour news cycle that's got things about what, for instance, Trump was doing to other people, and now it's getting done to these people again, or similar people, similar makeup is happening again. But we're not going to waste time on it, and that's the problem. It's it's not about what your politics. Or it's about what is getting reported to you and what you have the mental capacity to deal with. Because people are glad Trump's not in office. Maybe people that even liked his policy. You hear it all the time. We liked his policy, but he was, I didn't want him. People are just tired of it. The, the one thing about Biden is that you, you know that he's probably sleeping somewhere and it's just nice and calm. You know, and, and, and you don't, every day you get on the news, you, you just watch these people try to make it up because the, 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 the guy that was the churning force to most of the news that was coming out was a guy that was doing it, was making all the news for you so that you could one side or the other get pissed off or be happy. And you had tons of things to talk about. And now there isn't that. And so now you see these problems, just these little problems just popping up and, and trying to become bigger, uh, you know, bigger issues. But, but some of them, they can't. CNN can't report on the border crisis. You know, Fox can't report on certain things that Biden has done that maybe were, will end up being beneficial because you just nailed, you, you drove it in the ground so much of how bad some of these things are that nobody can say anything about anybody unless it's negative. But this, this is a crisis at the border, so much so that the homeland security, Biden's homeland security, is stopping people from coming in the country. 
You can't just, that's the one thing. If, if socialism, if socialist countries are, are so good, if socialism is so good, there, isn't, has, there hasn't been one country to, to do anything right with it completely because there never will be. Just like capitalism in the United States is never going to be right. It's just the best of what it's, it's literally like picking a United States president. It's the least of all the evils. But the, the issue is that when you tell people you can come here, they, they will, they will, they will die trying to get here. What does that tell you about this place? So all the negative things you hear about the United States is just bullshit. And you hear from people that live here. Some people that came from other places telling you what this country is like. You don't have to shut down a border if your country's worthless or not good or not uh, not beneficial for your future and, and the future of a family and your family. Uh, there are numerous things going on right now. There are numerous things uh, happening all the time, but there are definitely some things that are getting uncovered, issues that are getting uncovered to see because Trump is not there anymore. Um, so it's, 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 it's rather interesting, no matter, again, what your politics are right now, because uh, a lot of things aren't getting reported and you kind of have to dig. Um, and again, I, I've said it a thousand times, this epic times, if you don't, and they don't do anything for the show, but I, you know, I try to, you know, I try to find both left and right sources uh, just to kind of get a, a, a picture of, you know, why I feel the way I feel about something, uh, no matter what the, what the issue is. And, and, and just where both sides are coming from. Because, look, there's no question about it. There are people that go way left, that dive into things deep uh, for, for, that, for that mindset. And, and so far, with, with the right, most people, and, and I, 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 would, I would say, I would venture to say uh, a, a vast majority of people look for the middle. They look for somebody or something or some something they read that 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 makes sense for them in the middle. Uh, most people, no matter where they sit on the political spe- spectrum, I mean, you know, you kind of, I mean, how many times have you uh, said that before? You know, it's just like Fox is just too much or CNN's just too much or I just wish there was somebody in the middle. You know that you, and there's so many places to watch stuff now. You know, there's so many places to to go for for news and, and information and. That's why you, no matter how hard you try, you end up staying in this little bubble of these same things, you know, whether it's a little bit of Fox or a little bit of CNN, and then just you find a blogger that you like or, or a news site that you like or whatever the case is. Um, and you, you live in that bubble and, and sometimes you need to st- even step out of that. Um, and it, it can be hard because your opinions, especially the older you get, get really solidified. I mean, the younger your opinion it's the, you know, let's face it. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's like the kids, you know, and I say kids in that, in that, you know, low twenties down, you remember, I mean, you, you, you get locked in on one thing and it's the end of the world. I mean, Greta Thunderberg or whatever the hell her name is, 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 is probably going to have a different uh, way of speaking and communicating her thoughts, uh, 20 years from now. If in fact, anybody gives a shit 20 years from now, um, and, and what's really interesting is right now you can find there's two, two things I've, that I wasn't even looking for. I've heard about uh, with, with Hitler and, and uh, World War II going to Alaska and people going to Alaska or Antarctica, I'm sorry, and, and, and building these cavernous cities and aliens and all. It's, it, that stuff has just started to come out of nowhere. Uh, I've seen two major uh, reports on it. And and one that I just found uh, was this big documentary of these Navy guys that were actually part of 
uh, that time period when these things were getting built. Um, point being is that, you know, some of this global warming stuff, is that tied to that? You know, and I, we're, I want to do a conspiracy corner on it because, you know, it's a very interesting thing that there are places on this planet that governments have gone uh, and built facilities that, that you will never know about and to test things that you will never know about. Um, and we're getting closer, I think, to, I think we're getting closer to aliens being something that is just uh, not a problem here in the United States. Everybody's going to be cool with it. Uh, and it's just going to be what we do. It's going to be like men in black. You're going to be slapping five. Slapping five. Anyway, uh, so tonight is a is a uh, interview that I did with this guy named Flip, who was an AP photographer for National Geographic and numerous, numerous other places. Just t- talking about some of the pictures he's taken, the places he's been. Just a really interesting guy. Uh, and I met him on a trip to Mexico on a, on a bullfighting, uh, first time I ever saw bullfighting and, and, and really for that matter, uh, getting in a ring with a bull, it was just really insane, but the, you know, it takes unbelievable pictures and I, I thought it would be cool to have him on the show. So we'll be back next week live, uh, here on, at, uh, how values the validity, Facebook and YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube page and, uh, how values the validity. And like I said, if you'd like to see the show April 3rd with the Chris, with me and Ward Gunther, Jared Neiman, Love and Theft, you can go to the Chris Weaver Band Facebook page to purchase the uh, online streaming event happening April 3rd. Uh, we'll see you next week back here live with Tyler Reeve and Andy and Phil. Thanks so much and uh, enjoy the interview with Flip. My parents swear that's not where my, my name came from, but he had a TV show when I was a baby. So uh, it, right, so is is Flip uh, not on my birth certificate? Can you turn him up a little, just yeah. a tad for me? Yeah, not on the you birth. Got, certificate. Yeah, you got to get up in there. Yeah. Uh, so where where did the name Flip come from? That I mean, from being young. I mean, like depends on how much whiskey ah, and who's talking. Who's talking about it? Yeah, I got you. I got but you. But the the word is it was my grandfather because I was hyperactive at like a month old. And my name is Philip. Right. So if Flip comes from Philip, right? Or doesn't? I, I don't know. I don't know of any other it just, Phillips. You know what? I apologize. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> so I, I met Flip uh, in Mexico uh, about a month ago, right? Which I'm just now starting to heal from. Heal from. I'm just slowly having memories from that. Oh, man. I mean, that. yeah, you definitely. I mean, you had to be down there for a, a, a long time. I, I'm, I'm surprised you're, you know, you're functioning correctly. But um, anyway, so that was the first meeting I've ever had with you. That's the first time I ever met you. I never, you know, whatever. And so uh, you, how did you meet Josh from the standard? Is so, it, yeah, at the standard. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of people were become members at the standard. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was brought in by some members and I'm, I'm in Nashville on a project. And so I came and 
that was one of the first places I came. And so you you how how long have you known Josh? Three years. Oh yeah. shit. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you've yeah. been working on the Nashville project for three years. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Secret project. It was supposed to be a year long contract, and it's turned into. A lot longer. Yeah, obviously. It's an amazing progress. We can talk about that another time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, absolutely. It's a, but yeah. but your, your, your main thing is photography. But, that you know, that who who did the video stuff in that? That's a Georgian, not American Georgian, but the country, Republic of Georgia, yeah. filmmaker from Georgia. Um, is actually uh, Carrie Underwood's guitarist, Ed Eason. No He kidding. was the one that set it up because he's been begging me to, like, let some filmmakers follow me. And I'm like, man, I just don't do that. I don't do interviews. I don't... I don't do that stuff, but he talked me into it. He, uh, and we found this guy in Georgia and he went with me for a few days on this expedition that I've been on. So set that up. What, yeah. what, what was it that you were trying to accomplish with this? Just, let's just get into it. What, what, what was that all about? Well, that, th that video is, um, it comes from a, it's a teaser video that'll be played at, at an exhibition that I'll do of this, of these expeditions. I've been taken with these, um, nomadic shepherds. And uh, the story started out as a National Geographic style story for True Magazine. And then once I got into it, I decided to turn it into something different just because of personal reasons and what I was learning about my own life and faith and everything. And so this this video is made, it's it's not really perfect, but it's it's made to express sort of that personal thing that I learned on those expeditions and, and it reaches into a whole lot more than just the nomadic shepherds. It's like I travel to a lot of countries, work on a lot of different things. And and uh, so that, that video was expressing some of the poetry of of what has happened to me in my relationship with these shepherds. And specifically their dogs. Their dogs is is what my, my exhibition has really become about. No kidding. Yeah. So how long have you been going to that specific area? Since 2014. I've made... Um, three expeditions with this same shepherd group. And I've been with three generations of the dog group that protects them. Protects the, the flock and the people. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. What kind of dog is it? So it's a, it's called a Georgian mountain dog and not to get too academic, yeah, but, sure. uh, um, and somebody asked me actually last night, a girl was like talking to me and she's like, Oh, you know, like, that must have been like so peaceful when you went with, <laughs> with the shepherds. And I was like, actually, I was kind of going in search of solitude and peace. And I had the same stereotype in my mind. I thought if I can find the last great nomad shepherds, I'm going to find wisdom and peace. Yeah. No, well, no. if you, I don't know what your like religious background is, but in the Bible, like it talks about Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Yeah. Now I know why that there's a qualifier on that. Really, shepherds aren't good. They're like <laughs> they're like the worst human beings on the planet. No like even kidding. now, like today. So the shepherds I've been with, they're called the shepherds of Tusheti. They roam across war zones. They don't recognize borders. They roam between the Black and Caspian seas. Um, so the former Soviet Union, like from Azerbaijan, cross Republic of Georgia up into Chechnya, and they are all like most of them are ex-soldiers or just people who can't get a job and they live the most horrendous, awful life and the dogs, they're not hurting animals. They don't like guide the sheep at all. They're protectors. So people who have farms in the U S like in Montana and places, they're starting to use these dogs they are called guardian dogs. Yeah. They, they date back to the first dogs. Like when you look at Greek mythology and yeah. like these, 
and you, you go like into Turkey and the Kangal and Northern Iraq. And so these dogs, all they do is they live to protect the sheep. And so they're, they're semi-autonomous. Nobody trains them. They live like a wolf pack and they're direct descendants of wolves. And they function when you, when we first showed up, the dogs want to kill you. So the shepherds have to protect you from them until the dogs know that you're part of what they're guarding. Holy God. And so they often like get in fights and kill each other and, but they fight wolves and bear and, and bandits. Holy God. But they've, they've become symbolic to me of sort of ultimate sacrifice. They're like the ultimate warriors. They, and what's crazy about them is they're shepherds and we can get into that, but the shepherds aren't really kind to them because they want them to be mean. Mean, that's right. And so there's a perception that they're like, that that's all they'll do is kill. But the reason that the dogs have become so important to me is that the alpha of the pack on my first expedition saved my life, protected me from another dog group and then became like tender with me. And then her puppy, her firstborn, whose name was Maro, when I went back for the sex, second exhibit, exhibition, expedition, um, recognized me. And the shepherds that were with them, like, couldn't figure out, like, they were well, almost ha- pissed, like, that this dog came and was tender to me and let me go into her den with her, her newborn. And now I've been with the third generation. Holy cow. Who's actually named after my daughter, like, Sopo is her name. They let me name her, but... Anyway, so you're yeah. the dog whisperer. You're the I, I, big, you're the you're the killer dog whisperer. Killer dog whisperer. So my my thing is, you know, you say that about about their attitudes and and they're mean and that kind of thing, but I mean that that what that guy said was pretty poignant. Like what what were, were these guys soldiers and they can't get a job because they did something bad or just because no they just they're they're just they don't have any they're nothing. I mean, one they these are poor countries. Like most of these places. I mean, we live in America, man. We are living in yeah. Yeah. In the most privileged place in the history of the universe. I mean, it's like the history of the world. We we really have been born with special lottery tickets when we're born in America. And most of the world, even wealthy countries, um, the, the division in, in wealth and poverty is great. And so in a place like the Republic of Georgia, Chechnya, I mean, Azerbaijan, it's like the poor are poor and they're always going to be poor. These guys just have no opportunity, no education or anything. So in sheep are... A commodity still in yeah. that in that regard, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and these sheep are some of the most sought after in the world. They got these great big butts. And it, funny story is that when we when we first went, I took a buddy of mine with me, Noah Darnell. He's a photojournalist. Um, he's actually the nephew, no, the first cousin of the guy Barrett Fifty. Weird oh, the Fifty Cal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. Invented, who was a photographer, by the way. Did you know that? I did not. He invented that gun in his garage. He's a professional photographer who liked guns and anyway, the whole family is like super, super, like super mathematical, like smart. Anyway, Noah's with me. And we, when we got there and we were talking about the sheep and I was like, I always have these gut feelings when I'm working on stories. And sometimes the gut feeling is so bizarre. It's like not rooted in any reality, but it's not like I'm reading anything. It's sure. I think I'm just picking up on stuff and we were at a dinner and I said, you know, I want to find out if, uh, and I didn't know anything about the sheep at this point. Cause I don't do any research before I start working right. on a story. And uh, we're like on the border near Chechnya. And I'm like, I wonder if, um, if some rich Saudi prince has ever flown a 747 to Tbilisi and emptied the, of the seats and 
put a bunch of sheep on it to take back. <laughs> like it was just the most radical, weird thing. And Noah's like, you're nuts. And two months later, toward the end of our expedition, we met a guy and I, I kept posing this to people. And he's like, oh yeah, that's actually happened. And he was the guy that organized it. So somebody actually took a 747, took the seats out, put a bunch of Saudi Arabia. Of course. Yeah, of course. More money than God. Like brought a plane, emptied it of its seat and filled it full of sheep because there was no no trade relationship. It was totally illegal. It was black market. And these sheep are actually trafficked through um, Azerbaijan. They're sold on the black market. And then they're taken to Iran. That's like one of the biggest markets for them is Iran. And it's at... The most of the shepherds of Tusheti are are um, Orthodox Christian, but they sell them and they're used in on the feast table of for like Muslim Muslims, ceremonies. Right. So I've actually been trying to to follow the sheep all the way to Iran, but I'll be beheaded. Um, not, I mean, Iran's a, it's not as bad a country as the news makes it out to be, but the regime that runs it is, and you know, being wow. a journalist and looking like what I look at like, I yeah. mean, I would I would be arrested in like. So know, anyway, yeah. So how did you? You know, everybody has different ideas and dreams and goals as they're growing up and you get into things and then the next thing you know, you're you're making a living at it or whatever the case is. I mean, let's get back to the the basic here on how the hell did you get into or realize like, I'm doing this. This is happening. I'm going to different parts of the world, seeing things that nobody else would ever imagine seeing. And then then you made this whole world with it. And, and, And one that honestly you've controlled so much with the, with the, you know, the photographs and stuff. You don't let them out. I mean, there's all these different things. How far back does this go when you realize like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm making a, this is my life. Right. I mean, when, yeah, when, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you probably have a similar story. Like how'd you become a musician? And totally different. Famous? I mean, totally different. I mean, that does, you know, music, you grow up in it, whatever. And, and usually, you know, there's chicken wire, you know, that maybe you don't get a, a bottle thrown at you. I mean, you're, you're, you're going into places where most people would just never, that you'd never go. Right. I mean, that, that's, you, that's what you're, you've done. I mean, what, at what point in time, what, what success did you have? Uh, that that was like God. I'm you know I'm good at this. I'm I'm I can. Yeah, I'm a I, I'm I'm a I'm an observer. And very early on, like I mean, I've always been a creative person. But I have a in Myers Briggs. I have that rare personality type. My daughter and I both have it. The INFJ. It's like the rarest of. It's like one percent of the human population. You know has this. And it's a, we're like a contradiction in terms. We're like big picture people who like want to get things done. So, <laughs> right, right, and right. so I actually studied to be an architect, but long before that, I've always been creative and I've always been curious and I'm curious to the point of, I just don't care about making a living. I am obsessed with knowing why I'm here. It's always been from the time I was five years old. I mean, I've just been obsessed with quite sort of the ontological questions of God and the universe. And it's just always driven me. So early on, I decided I wanted to be a poet, whatever that was. And I, I think that's what I'm becoming. So because right. of my curiosity, yeah. I, I, uh, I became a person involved in information. I was always a writer and, um, but I was never an artist, like a painter or anything like that. I was always a writer. And I, I started my career in Washington, DC as an analyst. That's the easiest way of putting it. Right. And that quickly turned into like, I wanted to be a journalist. It's, it's sort of a, 
I don't know. I, I find like a lot of young people are like, especially young guys, they want to be Navy SEALs or whatever that is. Right. You know what I mean, they want to be like super soldier or they want to like, they want to do something dangerous and stupid and go in other countries. And journalism is one of those avenues. And so I think I kind of went down that path because I was, I just wanted somebody to pay me like to go do stupid shit. <laughs> and, and then then it just started to happen. Like, and uh, I started, I performed well early on, which means basically I risked my life and did stupid stuff and came back with like <laughs> really interesting things. And then people were like, they just kept paying me. And then one day I'm just like, I'm not really better than everybody. I'm actually the worst photographer you'll ever meet. It's like, I'm terrified. I break into sweats when people ask me, can you teach me about like taking pictures? I'm like, oh shit, not this. Year. I don't know how to use the camera. I don't know. Well, I mean, why is the camera, does it, does it, I guess uh, one thing I was wondering was, do you find it hard to, as time has progressed and, and everybody has a camera now and they all think they're photographer, everybody thinks they're a photographer, right? I mean, do you, do you even see things sometimes and go, oh my God, it's just too much. There's too much. There's too many pictures. It, but when And then you try to take something that's serious or the art form that it's become for you and does it make you just not want to do it anymore? Or is that no. is nothing like that's ever really? No, because, you know, it's it, no matter what you're doing. I mean, you know this as a musician, like the same guitar. And you can pick it up and you could even play the same exact finger picking notes right. or whatever as the person next to you. But it's going to be totally different. Yeah. And a person that's got soul and their gut is driving it. I, I really believe that. Like the, the tool is just the thing between you and whatever is true out there. It's like, if your heart is in it, you're reaching through that tool to grab that thing that you're trying to express and say it. And right. it's like, so to me, like, um, one of the reasons why I'm, I guard my images the way I do and I don't get them out there is that I don't want to, I, I have, I have no interest for anybody's attention. So when I do want to speak, I want it to be clear. I don't want a lot, of, a lot of noise around it. I want to create my own environment and let the photos and the stories speak for themselves. That's why I exhibit the way I exhibit. But but now I don't feel competition because I think that um, anybody can push a button and collect a frame, but that doesn't mean that it's um, saying anything, you know? Okay. And, and and so that brings up the other point too. Explain a little bit on how you do these exhibitions you know like why you know because you were talking about how big the pictures were and, yeah. and not you and then you destroy the prints and all that kind of stuff you know get a little insight on that yeah and it's like i can make it sound so intellectual and like i know what i'm talking about i just made this stuff up as i'm going that's along. fine like, that's, I I mean, that's even, the best stuff i know so here's how it came about so um I, I was very successful at what i do meaning you know people hire me and they send me to places to get stories news stories Early on, I'm like, this is fake. I mean, I come back and tell my daughter, I'm like, I'm I'm in fake news. Long before fake news was in fake news. Fake news was fake news. I'm actually saying the phrase, it's fake news because I'm somewhere choosing a perspective and, you know, telling a story. And it all came to a head for me in, at Hurricane Katrina. So I was one of the Associated Press photographers in New Orleans when the levees um, broke. So Joe Goldstein, who's one of the chief crime writers New York times, like one of my best friends, he was a writer. I was a photographer and the stuff that you see is true. You can see it. It's true. It just wasn't all the truth. So drama is like what news is all about. Right. 
And when that's all you say, you like, you don't see the, the whole story. And so one of the things that the AP never published that Goldstein and I worked on was right after like the week after the levees broke, it was balls to the wall party on Bourbon Street. National Guard was there. They had nothing to do. The U.S. Peace Corps, first time in the history of the Peace Corps, was on U.S. soil. Nothing to do. The Humane Society had like an army of like lunatic. Sorry. They were just strange people. <laughs> like an army of people there to rescue. And it was legit. Like animals need to rescue. But it was like all these people had nothing to do. And Goldstein and I started, like the strip clubs were open. So we're going into the strip but clubs. But the news is showing all this stuff. And is we're just... like, we're photographing. I have these photographs of of National Guardsmen buying souvenirs, like in the souvenir shops. They just didn't have anything to do. Trucks, hundreds of semis like lined up waiting because it was, they couldn't get in to get the debris. Yet. Anyway, the point is, is that it was, but that story didn't fit that drama. So it was never done. Just shelf. So and, can you believe the news anymore? I mean, you don't no, even watch it. No. I have nothing to do with the news because so for example, just I was I was on a during the, the protest, whatever, you know. Right. I shouldn't be so dismissive. Because, well, no, that's fine. But I mean it's what everybody's Nashville, starting to understand what it so, is now. On a in a on a particular protest in, in Nashville in June, it was uh I was I put on my hat for one of the big publications and decided I would I'd provide them some images for it. But by the end of the night, I was like, I'm not going to submit these images because I know what they're going to do with them. And then when I saw the column written about this event, I was like, I'm glad my photos aren't illustrating it because it wasn't, when you reduce it to its sort of like narrative and it just wasn't true. It was partially true, but it was, you know, it was- No context. Yeah, there's right. no context. And I'm only interested in in the bigger picture. And news doesn't get down to- the real question at people. And this was sort of the turning point for me. So I, I left after Katrina. I mean, I was, I, I, I was on the verge of a breakdown. I mean, it was, it came years later actually, but it was on the verge of, so I went home Christmas to 2005, told my family. And like at that point I was divorced, but still like good friends with my wife and um, I had a young daughter I'm taking care of. And I'm like, I'm going to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's what, so I, in 2006, I just quit, started wandering around the world and it, led to this other career that was unexpected. And that's, so to answer your question yeah. about what I do with photos is that I started doing these private contracts and I would take them anywhere. And so a lot of them are like, I was in Bosnia, I was in China and like I, I did some stuff for the state department and it was like borderline propaganda. I mean, I'm like, I was in, I was in China with the Harlem boys choir traveling around with them on an official tour, photographing them. And then they were having me speak on journalism in Chinese universities. It was nuts. It was like, I was at the MIT in of like China speaking about journalism. It's like, I'm not really qualified for this. Do they, but do this they, is do they tell you what you're going to say? No, no. They yeah. let you say whatever you want to say. Yeah. In China, in China. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now we were, we had people following us around and I don't do social media or anything. So I couldn't have like put any of that out. And if I would have said anything against the communist government, or, I mean, I would have been censored or stopped or whatever. But so I, as I was traveling, I used those opportunities to start exploring things on my own. But they take, they look at all your pictures. No. Really? No. So you got the, you went in there, took pictures wherever you wanted and left that Dude. country and nobody knew what you took. Oh yeah. Holy crap. Ola. I got some amazing stories that I've, that I've actually never published from that. And that's part of this thing is I, I've been since, since 2006, 
most of what I do isn't published. I've, I, cause even when I do these contracts, I, I do it for a client and that's published for them. But I, I do these things on the side and I've just, I haven't known what I'm doing. I'm just collecting them like in China. So I was raised, I was raised Methodist and Catholic and uh, I mean Methodist. So you fit it, right into China. You fit right in. And, uh, <laughs> but like, I, I, my faith is like a big question mark in the past. And so at that point I was like sort of exploring my faith and I, you always hear stories and they're never true. And so, and I heard, well, that shouldn't say they're never true, but they're, they're never fully right. true. And I heard stories about, you know, China and the underground Christian church or whatever. Well, part of that was true. Like it was fascinating. So everywhere I went, I just like hooked up with these people that have these house churches. And it was amazing because it's like, I learned something about faith that I never knew. It was really powerful, deep people. And so I have all these stories that I started collecting, but I didn't know what to do with them. So I would just come home and my family and friends became like, you know, I wasn't publishing this stuff, but I would, it was like I was doing private dispatches yeah. for individuals. Talk, give it just a little piece of China. Everybody, China is such in the news right now all the time where we're, they hate us, we hate that, whatever the case is. What is it really like dealing with officials and being around in that country? I mean, I know it's not North Korea, but I, at the same time, how, what's the feeling over there? And okay, so China is one of my, <laughs> sorry, I got to be really careful because I, I, I travel and. Yeah, I understand. And people do watch things and I yeah, want to yeah. keep traveling, but China, I'm not a fan of China and not because I'm anti-Chinese. It's, it's just, I don't like the food. I don't like the landscape. It's the flattest country. I mean, when you get near the Himalayas and, and then out toward the Gobi, there's some beautiful parts of China, but the North American continent is freaking paradise. Like we really, we don't know how great like this country is. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm not some flag waving patriot. Maybe I am, but it's like China is just not, not a, it's just not a really not, fascinating country geologically. But I mean, the food, as far as the people the point, though, the, it, that country is so big. There's so many people. Nobody can watch everybody. It's just like not possible. That's why the Chinese government is so intent on AI and facial recognition. That was going on when I was there in 2009, 2010, 2011. But it's so big. I mean, so in the U.S., you think of like our biggest cities. What's the population in New York? 20,000, 21,000. 21 million. Yeah. So like that is a, that's a middle tier city in China. I mean, it's like China has so many cities that are 10 million people. Like we can't even what imagine it, what, what the is, people. The population of China is what? 700,000 no, or, no, or 700 like, million? No, no, no. China is like. Is it a billion? Two billion or something or. No, I mean, not like, two it, billion. It's in the billions. It's maybe 1.1 billion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but it's. Because India is probably 1.7 billion. No, China is the biggest. China is the biggest? Yeah. 1.393 billion. That's of 2018. Okay, so look at India, Andy. Look at India. So have you you've been to India too? I have never been to India. No, really? Yeah. Is that Uh, on the bucket list? About the same one point three three five three billion. Whoa! No, it's huge. Much smaller landmass. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, because China is a much bigger landmass. But you can't live in most of it, right? I mean, in China's got you know because up north, obviously, you're you're in this. It's it's all just blizzard world right no not really you're not that far i mean china doesn't have arctic any arctic area mm. so um what's called inner mongolia which is the northern Mongol, part that's right you know it's uh but it's like 
you're right near Siberia, like when you're in Harbin, China, but it's it's not. not I mean, that it gets much. cold, but it's not it's not Arctic. There's no Arctic. Part. I got you. I got you. And most of the population is on the the eastern part. So between Shenzhen in the south, and you know, and um, Qingdao in the you know the north, where the beer is from, Qingdao beer. What well, what about so? It, but China's funny because they uh they're everything is dual language, so it's in Mandarin Chinese and English, all over the country. Well, yeah, but they, uh, everybody over there knows like sixty thousand languages, there, right? I mean, it's a, <laughs> but it's but it's well, I mean, I, but I'm it's not, poorly done. So they have English writing speaking consultants, but you'll go into some cities and the English is so bad on the street signs and everything, and like the menus, it'll be like the chicken likes its thin skin moist. <laughs> That'll be the menu item. You're like, it's a statement, not a food. But that's what, yeah. that sounds like when I cook. A so, little bit of insight as far as what we were talking about the. Uh, as far as the uh, population goes, we get 8 million uh, as of 2018 in New York. And then you're looking at eight, only 8 million New yeah. York city, New York city. Really? Uh, Beijing, 21 and a half million. What's, I mean, Sao Paulo's 22 million. Yeah. It, but it's I mean, the third largest city in the world. I, New York's only 8 million people. That's, but that's, that uh, since, but that's not that, the greater that, New York area. Like they're, they're always bigger when you, and have all the boroughs around. It's like Mexico City. It's isn't it like thirty some million. But if you say Mexico City, proper, I thought New like York was at least 12. nineteen million. I thought for sure. Sao Paulo, twelve point. 12, I want to know who's counting all these people. Million. I don't. They're guessing. They got to be. It couldn't be that census guy that they sent to my house because he did not look like he could count past. But 10. I was in Wuhan, so I was in Wuhan, where this thing was where COVID yeah. broke out, and as soon as it broke out. So my daughter, who's a, a grad student um, at an unnamed university in psychology. and uh, So she she's really conservative. Yeah, <laughs> I love my daughter. Super conservative daughter you have. And before any of the news broke about it, I said, let me show you something in Wuhan, China. I said, this is where this market is. I brought up on Google Maps. It's like, this is where this market is. It's oh, the wet market. Yeah, I'm like, you know what's right next to this wet market? She's like, what? And like the lab, the central lab in yeah. the whole country. Cause I already knew it was there. And that was before the news broke. And she's like, dad, you're being a conspiracy theorist. And then when the news broke, she called me and she was like, what the heck? I'm like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like when you're in the business of information and that's the business that I've been in most of my life, like there, you see big things and patterns and there just aren't coincidences. Right. And it's that. When I saw that, I'm like, I don't care what anybody in the world says, this thing didn't come from this wet market. There's just no way. It's like the it's just there are no coincidences. Sure, and no. it's like that doesn't I, mean I, that I it was on purpose. Like who can prove absolutely on purpose? But absolutely on purpose. But the reality is, there's no conspiracy here. Yeah, yeah, on purpose. Yeah, and it was to it was made to kill people's grandparents. I believe that. I take out some weak people and their grandparents. I, I that you know. I don't want we to talk can't about turn it off patterns. I mean, it's that there there are patterns, and people evaluate patterns. And when we when we reduce things to like simple news stories, and we like that's actually avoiding science. When people talk about science, it's like the science of math and patterns is well. The thing about evidence, and, and not so. to get deep into this, but Wuhan goes all the way back to after World War II. That's how freaking crazy this is. There's stories about you know the it's Germans. It's a bizarre city. Oh, man. it's unbelievable. I mean, when I was there in, in 2010, they had built entire city outside the city where they had a reproduction of some famous Viennese opera house 
this massive museum. It was like a whole city. And it was like empty. It was no population. There were housing and everything. It was it was like something out of Blade Runner, but inverted. Like it wasn't dirty. So, it was, so do they do that to show other people like that? That's what they're they're all cultural and all this stuff. And then you go into the cities, and they're not. I don't know. It's bizarre though, because the cities are the the poverty in China is through the roof. Oh my gosh, yeah. the poor are poor, poor, poor. I mean, there are wealthy people in China because there's so many people, but it's most people and and they do bizarre things with facades of buildings. They do this in Eastern Europe too. Like you go to um, Tbilisi and uh, Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, Republic of Georgia. You go to downtown and it's all these beautiful buildings. They look like you know, beautiful stone and granite and everything. And it's styrofoam. They literally like cover these broken, crappy buildings with these literally like movie. They It's just exactly movie what sets. you do in, in movie sets. And they, and then you walk in the doors and they're like shitholes. Sorry for swearing. No, I'm you're fine. You're fine. Like total like garbage. And China has a lot of that too. And it's sort of so what's the point yeah. of that? Just, just for image. The, yeah. Image. Just image. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Strange as all. I need to do out. that to this house before I sell it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what is, give me the best story that just makes people mouth drop every time you, you tell it or, or a story that you haven't told that much that you just, you want to, I want to, I want, I want to know some of this stuff, right? I, I want to know, I, I, cause here's how I picture you, especially the first time I met you. I picture you like this old house with, with 30,000 rooms and, and you, you tell me I get to pick whatever room I want. And so I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm just opening the doors a little bit. And I want to see what the rooms are like before I feel my vibe. You know what I mean? But I, I want to know like one story and this is hard to do, right? But you've been, have all these experiences. What's one story that when you, that when you think about it or when you tell it that you're just like, this is, this is some, I can't believe it happened to me because you've had to have that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. So this isn't answering the story, but it gets there. So there's a movie in the seventies called being there. And I forget the, the actors, you can look it up. It's called being there. And it's, um, this guy from the state department, Damien Merlo, I'm going to tell him to watch this. He's not the state department anymore. He's one of the most interesting guys in the world. You need to get Damien on here. <laughs> I think, he, I think I can say he's a speechwriter for Jeb Bush, but he's, I call him a kingmaker. So he, um, Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, Damien Merlo is just this interesting guy, and he's uh, he's really close friends with, well, he's just, he's a kingmaker. He works, he works um, on campaigns, mostly in developing countries, like helping people get elected, like to be president. He's a really strange, wears a lot of hats. Anyway, <laughs> so we're in Haiti, and I was working for the prime minister, he was working for the prime minister of Haiti, and he's like, hey, there's a movie I want you to watch. This movie is about your life. And I felt like so puffed up because he's such a cool guy. Right. It was like, he's like being there, watch this movie. So I go like download it and watch it. And here's the plot line. Peter Sellers is like, is mentally deficient. <laughs> and he is, yeah, this he's, guy this, must, you got close he's a to gardener him. for some millionaire. And the, the beginning of the movie is he's just watching TV all the time. And he memorizes lines from sitcoms and everything. And that's how he speaks. Like he answers with lines from, from other you know, movies, from movies or whatever. But he's he's like an idiot. I mean, he's he's dumb. And but he's when this guy dies, he he gets cast on the street, and he gets hit by a car by this rich woman who's connected in politics, 
and they they're afraid that he's going to get he's going to sue them, so they take him to their mansion in uh, Georgetown, Washington D.C. And as he speaks, he says things that he's mistaken as saying something wise, like it's fall now and the leaves are going to fall. And they'll ask him something and he'll like answer and they think he's giving some like deep economic advice. So he ends up on TV shows, he ends up becoming an advisor to the president anyway, but he's, he's just a total idiot. And I watched this movie and I'm like, geez, Damien, man, like, what are you saying Why? about me? But it's like, I, that's kind of the story of my life is that I, I don't network. I don't try to do things. And I literally, like I was, befriended by the the princess of Siam the granddaughter of the former king of Thailand who I met through a friend when I was working there like this stuff happens to me all the time and I just follow it I follow it and it's like I literally can't take any credit for where I end up and the cool stories I have that's why I said yes to you it's like I have this weird gut feeling it's like I never do interviews. My daughter, daughter's like, what interview? I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I like him. He's a cool guy. And like, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably like discover something together and it'll end up like really cool. But it, it happens to me. But I, I work for the prime minister, which is kind of funky. And um, we become good friends. We have a book coming out. Actually, I'll pitch it like a, yeah, sure, we have a sure. book being released uh, in November. If it all goes well, there's a bit of a holdup right now. The book is in, it was printed in China. And uh <laughs> It, but uh, Sean Penn wrote the forward to it, and oh. uh, it's co-written with me and the and the prime minister because I worked with him for three years. But it's kind of a cool book, just a random factoid. The uh, endorsements that are on the back of the book, get your head around this. Noam Chomsky, General Wesley Clark, how Richard did, Branson. How did and, you get that? And Tony Blair. I mean, they couldn't be like from different universes i mean it's like general wesley clark and noam chomsky i mean how, no, how did you get that though how? because of uh mainly because of Lawrence and sean penn because they're involved in the book and and but he's he was aware of the work that was going there but the cool story about working for the prime minister was that when i when i checked out literally when i quit my job with like no safety net and didn't know what i was going to do with my life somebody invited me to haiti in 2006 and a uh, former Peace Corps worker working with the, uh, the UN. So I just flew to Haiti and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was just wandering around. And I ended up like meeting this family of arms dealers, these rebel, like, like I, they just took me into their house and they declared me like a son. So I, I made Haiti my base. I would just fly back and forth. I, as I go around the world, I end up back in Haiti, but I had no purpose. I wasn't working on a story or anything. Yeah. And then I just started doing some things for, the UN and the government, like, because Haiti was on the verge of like destroying the world. Haiti's an interesting country because it's so poor, poorest country in the Western hemisphere, but so much goes through there. I mean, it's like a drug trafficking hub. It's, I mean, and it's so unstable. It's like, we've always been afraid as a government in the U S that Haiti is going to become like another Cuba. And, and so when I, as I was wandering around Haiti, I, I did this short assignment for the UN and there's a slum in Haiti. This is the story. So it's called Cite Soleil. You can look it up. So Cite Soleil in 2005 was the kidnapped capital of the world, like above Colombia. Above Jeffrey Epstein Island and all of it. <laughs> it's a dangerous, <laughs> dangerous place. It's a slum of like half a million people right in the capital city of Port-au-Prince. And nobody that's not from there goes in there. I mean, people like... 
people in Haiti, Haitians don't go in there if they're not from there. They're terrified. It's like the boogeyman. I mean, so many myths and legends about the place. But the head of political affairs for the UN organizers for me going there, I guess I could say this. I guess I'll say it. So the uh, <laughs> we, I, I meet at her house. She's an American woman who is running political affairs there at the time. And I meet her at house and she's going to have me go into Cité Soleil because they're not allowed to at this point because it's there's a total war going on with the warlords of Cité Soleil and the UN and the Haitian government. I mean, literally like mortar shells and 50 calibers. I mean, they're blowing buildings up and everything. And it's the Do you war. feel like so, your life's in danger at any, uh, during this time? You got to, a, right? a whole other thing. But the, you kind of just check out for that. So, right. But she assures me that she's in contact with the head warlord and that she wants to get, and that the UN is forbidden to go in there. Like they're not allowed to send anybody in. Nobody can get in to find out if people are starving to death or whatever. So she's like, I, she could send in unofficially somebody. And she assures me that the head warlord, Amaral, who oh is my God. who's like a, a head chopping off like lunatic, that he's going to protect me, that I'll be okay. And I just say yes to this stuff. So I did it. I said yes. And when we met at her house, a guy from the State Department from the embassy came over and he's a total spook. And he got spooked and he wouldn't go. So a spook wouldn't go in with me. But I went in. And when I went in, I had a translator with me because I didn't speak any French or Creole at that time. Like I didn't know anything. And the first thing I did was I was like, okay, this is either true or false that Amaral is going to protect me. So he ha we have to sneak in to the slum. We literally go through this sewage area. It was disgusting to, to sneak into this massive area. And when I get in there, the first thing I do is I go to the main street in the slum. And the translator freaks out because he's like, we're all going to be killed. But I know that I got to, I got to let Emerald know I'm there. So I walk out and he finds me. Of course, he's, he's on this great big motorcycle. And it's like, I know he's not going to kill me because I know that, that the woman has called him. A hundred percent. You feel this way? Not necessarily, but you gotta, you have to be, you have to be a hundred percent. You feel like you're, you're there. It's like skiing. I mean, once you go, you go. Yeah, I mean, right, I don't right. know. Like you got on stage, like there's no going back. Like yeah. you gotta start strumming the guitar, whatever with right. the metaphor. But right. so he like, it's, he lets me be there, but he's like, it's whatever. He's, he yells at me or whatever. Then he says, I'm okay. So I start wandering, like taking pictures everywhere and doing my thing. And this guy, when I get to the, to the, the wharf in the area comes up to me and he pulls out a Glock and he's got all of his guys around him and he puts a gun in my face and says, give me all your cameras. And I'm like, you have to kill me first. Cause again, I knew that if he hurt me, that Amarod hurt him. And, and uh, so this guy's name is Fose. He was this low level Lieutenant. And we, when I said that to him, he like looked at me and then he put the gun away and was like, is that me? Like I'm, we're friends. So every time I'd go back to Haiti, I'd go see this guy. And he rose up through death and destruction and, All you know, the mafia style he became stuff. the number two of the whole country of the warlords, the, the, the gang members, but they're not gang members like our gang members in the U S that they function differently. That's a whole other discussion. But so I become friends with him. So when I, I'm becoming friends with this family and I, and I'm in Haiti, I'm in and out and in and out this family, one of their cousins becomes a prime minister and this guy, Laurent Lamont, who's actually an extraordinary guy. And he was um, a tennis bro who had a big telecom company in Africa, made a fortune. So when he became prime minister, he like had to take a step down. Like you know, he's like a Trump of Haiti. But he wants to help. Isn't yeah. It? Like sincerely he does. And yeah. I can say that that's what the book 
it, it is about, about what he actually did. But he had never been in Cité Soleil. And so I I ended up, when I went to work for the government Holy of Haiti, God. The, the assumption was I'd live in a mansion where all the foreigners live in the in the hills of the capital city. But I moved into Cité Salam and that's where I lived for three years. So I would leave the slum and I'd go to the palace <laughs> to, to work. I go back to the slum. And that's how I met Tony Blair because I became like a party favor for the prime minister. So he would have like visiting dignitaries oh and he'd be God. like, hey, 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 come over here. You got to tell the story. You got to tell the story. He's like, tell Tony the story of, of where you live. And so I took the prime minister for the first time to introduce him to those guys in, in Cite Soleil. So anyway. That's insane. It's, so and so and, and so do you did you meet you met the prime minister of Haiti that would become that through the that that whole slum of that and meeting those warlords. Yeah, yeah. God almighty. Was there any time that you weren't protected yeah, and, and, a, yeah. and a local messed with you or Yeah, I mean I I fled the country for my life in 2016. I mean I had a hit put out on me. And, and where was where was your boy at to to help you? He out? had a hit put out on him because of me in part. Oh, okay. But the their factions and he was becoming because I lived with him, it put him at risk, but he didn't care. And so he had a break with with the Gabriel, who is now the head and is still the head. I can't believe he's lived this long. And so in 2016, Prime Minister had been ousted at that point. I was still there. What was and the threat what what kind of threat are you to them? Just well, everybody thinks that you're you a spy. Know, a spy. They think you're DEA or whatever yeah. whatever movie they've watched. I mean, sure. it's like, you know, in, in, in Haiti, DEA is really active and they know about the DEA. So they all think you're DEA. But like kids showed up. I have these pictures of these kids with cardboard boxes at my house one day that said FBI and police. Yeah. <laughs> like, because of movies they watch though, yeah, right? They, they watch they watch American movies. But like in when I'm in Eastern Europe, it's CIA. Everybody thinks they're CIA. But then people think I'm FSB because they think I'm Russian. When I moved to Bosnia, I was working in Bosnia in 2008. These old ladies in this market in Bielina, Bosnia, wouldn't sell me food because they call it a Ruski, Ruski. They all thought I was Russian, and they hate the Russians in that part of Bosnia. So he, yeah. Andy brings up a good point. Yeah. What, what? What? Like, how many times have you been in a situation where, when you looked back on it? You were like, I that that could have been it for me all the time, right? I mean, but but you can't, like you said, you can't be, you can't think that way in the moment. Otherwise, you would never do anything. Yeah, I mean, you never. And the reality is, and and I've been fortunate. I mean, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've I've just been fortunate. I mean, I've had some bad things happen to me physically, but not at the hands of people. I mean, the threat from people has been there, but I've been fortunate. I've never been robbed. I mean. It's uh, really yeah. The and, cameras and everything, and you've never been robbed. But people are good. I mean, people are generally good. Even bad people are good. What I mean by that is that there are there are criminal enterprises, but most people aren't part of a criminal enterprise. Even people are members of gangs. Even in the United States. Even in Nashville. People, and if they if they call you friend, if they think that you're not a threat. Or that, what if they call you friend? And there's there's some steps to get there like sure. to build that rapport. Sure. Um, people bring you in and they protect you and they take care of you. And so my rule is is find the person who has authority, and it's never the politician. So I mean, are you are you becoming? Have you become more 
in, intrinsic, I guess is the word maybe with the, with the, the gangs in Nashville through this project. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, that's not the focus of the project tomorrow in Nashville, but it's it's definitely, I mean, it's part of the story. Is, is that something about. going? I mean, is that something that we don't really? Oh, that, there are, I mean, all, major stuff. All the major gangs are represented in Nashville. All of them. Really? Yeah, Crips, Bloods, Gangster Disciples. I mean, MS Thirteen, all that stuff. Yeah, they're all here. The Kurdish. I mean. Hold that thought. Yeah. We're going to go on a break real quick. <laughs> we'll be right back. And then we're going to look at some of these pictures too. But I kind of want to hear about that a little bit more too. Sponsors of How Valid is the Validity. Audison. Audison Amplifiers. Feel it. Hertz. Hertz Marine and Car Audio. Hear what you've been missing. Verdoliac Law Group. Let us help you. Aurora Nutriscience. True Liposymol Supplements. Guidance Whiskey. Look for guidance. Cartronics, customize your ride. Sony Car Audio 2.0. Titan Motoring, don't just customize, personalize. Chris Weaver Band, live and streaming entertainment. How valid is the validity? Wednesday night, 7 Central, 8 Eastern. And I say King. Stai ascoltando. Anata W.E.K.I.R.A.I.M.A.S.U. Estás escuchando. Você está ouvindo. No matter how you say it, you are listening to How Valid is the Validity. All right, so not not to get into laughing stuff, but I, I do kind of want to understand this a little bit. When, when you say that these gangs are represented in Nashville, it, it, where is, like, I, you know, I've lived here 17 years. I, I mean, I knew there was some gang activity, but I mean, you guys are, I mean, that's, that's a whole different ball game. If all those major, especially the MS 13, which obviously, you know, that was a big deal a couple of years ago with the terrorists, you know, whatever, what are you have? Is it, is it, how scary is it? I mean, is it, is it that deep in this, in this city? And I, I just never seen it before. Well, the reality of, of all of our lives is we live in silos because you can't know everything. You can't experience everything. And it's also one of the problems is that that's the otherness of the world is that we literally don't know our next door neighbor. Like it's, it's not like unrealistic to say that we don't even know our own spouses and children. I mean, they're like like literally the room next door, like we don't, we don't enter their environment and, and sort of get quiet and listen and be in the environment. We just, we, we do our thing. And so we're unaware of most of our neighbors and, 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 you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody trying to get to know gang members because, you know, when, when you do something in a criminal enterprise, then your defenses are up and, you know, you want to hurt people and keep them away from you because you think they're going to hurt you. So yeah. you go start walking around some neighborhoods in Nashville, you're going to be at risk. But if you have a reason to be there, the most important thing to do is to find the most dangerous person. And and do it on some sort of neutral ground the best that you can if you can I couldn't that day in Haiti but yeah. and find f- let them know who you are and who you're not and then it's just a matter of trust and if somebody sees that you're not screwing them over they give you greater and greater access and if you treat somebody with respect I mean my rule is it's an arbitrary number but I say that I I don't publish or show or say ninety percent of what I learn about people I don't know if that's an accurate 
you know, sure, that's I understand real, but it's like in your mind, you I, have a, a base. There are lots of things that I could publish and, and make money off of it. Well, for example, um, uh, Centoya Brown, do you know her? The, the girl that was just given clemency last year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when she was released, it was total blackout from the media and everybody wanted a piece of her and no media got any access, but I was called by the publisher and I happened to be in Nashville at the time. They knew I was in Nashville and said, would you be with her the moment she is released? So I was actually with her. And this is kind of a funny story. I don't think she'll mind me telling. So the deal was, is that they have a veto right on everything. And I was going to be with her from, from the moment she's released. So I'm inside the prison grounds like, and they had to like NBC, everybody was TMZ. They were all there camped out trying to get the first pictures of her freedom. And they snuck her out. It was like a military operation. And we like zooming down these back roads and we did the transfer in some abandoned, like another prison facility here in Nashville. And the deal was they were going to disseminate these photographs. So whenever you have a totally unique photograph. This is why the paparazzi exists. The paparazzi is that you get paid every time that photograph is published. So one photograph, like being on the front page of every newspaper in the world the next day makes you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, potentially one photograph. But that's really rare when that happens because it's like a matter of chance. Right. But on this night, it was like being handed to me. It was like, here's a deal. You get to be with her. We have the veto right. We'll decide what's published and whatever. So it happens. I'm there. I'm with her first kiss with her husband, the whole deal. You know, the photographs are actually crap because of the situation and the security, like freaked out or anything, but I have the photographs and then they make the call and they're like, we decided we don't want to publish any of these. And after you miss that first day, those photographs are done. They're not, they're not really worth anything. And so TMZ was trying to reach me. They wanted those photographs. They would have paid great money for it what is great money in this regard well they probably would have written me a check for fifty thousand dollars like right then just to have the rights to publish one photograph or whatever but i didn't even take the call i directed them back to the publisher and because that is my point i'm not saying this to brag about myself i understand but this is my rule because of that centoya and i have become good friends and i'm telling you that chick is the real deal she's an awesome girl so she she didn't deserve to go to prison all those years Probably she would say she did. I don't think she's ever said she didn't deserve prison. No, but just for the That's amount of time, it. right? Even that. I don't think that she's ever said she didn't deserve life. Like anybody, she would not want to serve it. And she's so grateful she's not. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. Her attitude isn't like, I mean, she sees herself now as a victim of trafficking. But what's beautiful about her story, she says that she never even saw it that way before. She's like, she's helped me see young girls differently. It's like, you know, she's like, you can believe certain ways when you're young and it's not the right way to believe. But she actually believed that she was in charge of herself and making all those decisions. She's a good girl. But my point in the story I'm telling you is that I could have cashed in that night and I would have lost a deeper story and a friendship. But because of that now, she's given me this crazy access to their life. And so in the end, I'm going to have a really deep personal picture of her first year of freedom that nobody else would have because of trust. And that, that's my point. My point is. So that, yeah. be, that being said, at what point in time, I mean, don't you have to make money from that at some point? 
that so that trust that you've built right it, it, at some point in time don't you because your time is is valuable and you have to make a living <laughs> and that's 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 the paradox or whatever it is is that there's a quote one of my favorite quotes and it may not be verbatim it's buckminster fuller the famous you know architect engineer who gave his stuff away i mean he's had patents and everything made money but he said i decided early on whether i was to make money or make sense as the two are mutually exclusive <laughs> right okay and I've, I've that doesn't mean that you can't make money off what you do i make good money doing what i do but money can't be my goal it just can't be you you in the business you're in i've i've been privy to sitting in with some well-known artists in their creative process and i've heard oh the stories are some beautiful there. stuff and yeah. i've heard some awful stuff and i won't name the person but i've I've been with the person that just outrightly secretly admitted it's like, I hate this crap I produce, but I know how to make a number one. Like I know how to do it. And this is what I'll do. Cause I like the money and he just is miserable with his life. But I know this other guy, Chris Gantry. I don't know if you know that name, Man, Chris Gantry. He's like almost 80 years old. He's one of the original outlaws. It was Chris Christopherson. Um, oh, really? Shell Silverstein, Willie Nelson, and and, um, and, and Johnny Cash, yeah. Willie Nelson. It was Chris was like one of the original guys. When you go to the you know hall of the museum, you know the whatever the country music. Yeah, museum, yeah, yeah. He's still producing. He is like such the real deal. He just wants to communicate. I mean, he's not done great at making good money. But my point is, is that a true artist, like a true artist, has to be driven by the desire to communicate. I don't know if I'm a true artist, but as a journalist, it's like creating, finding the thing and saying it truly is just so important to me. All right. So here, but, let, that, that yeah, segues yeah. right into this. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things that I, 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 you know, when you go and look for pictures to use, like in background stuff, you know, you know, like when you're, what's it called when you, uh, like you go, you can, the free pictures you're allowed to use. The stock photos. Stock photos, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stock images. Yeah, bring this one up, Anders. <laughs> okay, so why I why I picked this. I love right? you, man. I am so glad I'm here. I think it's so <laughs> random that you would pick that out of all those Mexican photos. Right, right. So I picked this because this is a picture that I would try to take. Right. I'm I'm I was always into flowers and, and that kind of thing, but the color and then no color. And I just you know what 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 is it that why did why? Why did you take that picture? I love this question. Okay, well then answer it. You were there. So we're there. That's in this, you know, we're in this family's ranch and they've got all this history and all this stuff that they do. And we know about the, you know, the father has died, the mother. And anyway, we're there and that's where we're, we're drinking the whiskey and everything, a little bar area. And I look over and I see that and I think those are real. Like those are real flowers and plants and herbs or whatever. And somebody... Somebody made that thing. I was like, somebody made that. They made the holes. They made the pottery. A long time ago. Too, a long like. time ago. And somebody went and picked that stuff and put that in there fresh. Like that's, that picture was like, I wanted to take a picture of it because I was photographing evidence of their character. Like to me, that, that was, that was a piece, that's a piece of, that's a photograph of evidence of the of the character of that family and that house and 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 something about their history but it's 
the subtle things and the quiet things that tell us the most about things, not the signs, not the things that, that meet the stereotype that in my opinion, it's, you have to get through that and find those little things that really tell the picture, tell the story of, of values and, and really values of like what we believe and care about. Not only the craftsman, craftsmanship, but you can, this was made with a purpose and it was made with somebody's yeah. hands and it was, and a piece was, is missing. You know why it's missing? Cause it fell out and broke. Yeah. You know who broke it? You, you did. Tango, the, the like elephant sized dog. But even that was like, and that's part of the story, you know, because I was like, I was like, why, why is one missing? Like, what's the story? And uh, Alvaro was like, dango, big ass, like broke it, you know? Like, it's well, like, t- so- hey, just to let you know, there was a picture with the dog, the tango dog or whatever, drinking out of a fountain. Yeah. And I was going to put that one up here, but his penis was so gargantuan. It wasn't even out. <laughs> just the holster for it. <laughs> the holster. That dog the jumped hol- on my back I mean, are you joking me? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, so here, this, this is why I picked it. Because I look at that and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how do you, I, I love the beauty of the color and the non-color, right? The saturation of the color and then the non-saturation. I love, I love that non-saturation stuff. But it's interesting to me you always wonder, do people see the same thing that you see? Do, do people not feel, but like, am I, is, is the color green the same to me as it is to you? You know, I always wonder that, right? And and I see stuff like this and it catches my eye and I, I'm like, okay, what gets me is 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 how you center things it also is, is something that um, I, I was very interested in about this picture. Uh, can we put that up here, Andy? So, it's to, like why I say that is I, I, I find it fascinating how you look at, and you've been doing this for a long time, why you leave the space to the right and then to the left, right? Does that, what, what, what was the picture? What was the idea behind that picture? Like, what was the feeling? I'd, I'd be asking the interior designer <laughs> myself because for an OCD person, I'd be freaking out the way that that's not centered over that little. Uh, right. But, but is there, was there something else there? Do they put something else in that thing during mm-hmm. a certain point in time? You know what I'm saying? Like to me, that that's a great picture, but, and, and, and people tr- don't understand the importance. Well, Andy, it's just like music, right? Space and you know, like sometimes if you, you you know somebody that sings too many notes or plays too many notes, you want that space. It's the same way in photography. But what? Why? Why did you take that picture? Well, I took that picture because I'm just I don't know. I felt the house. I I love. I I try to paint with my camera, and I'm very intentional about it now because I'm I'm trying to write poetry with it. I know that sounds high minded, but it's I love lonely feelings to me it's like a piece of somber music and it just caught my eye but there's also a lot of symbolism in it i mean you know the family and so and i also sometimes when i'm making pictures they're part of a series and i see them only as that this was i knew this was going to be part of a series i wanted when i when somebody sees the matador story and they see the the whole series of him preparing that's part of that are you allowed to show that yeah yeah that's why they. Oh, given you me are access. allowed to show it. Yeah, they've given me access to it, but I'm going to save all those until I publish. Okay, you know the Andy, story on the. I, on I, the I wasn't sure to, that we could put any of that stuff, uh, and not that I had that much of it anyway. But I, I didn't know that we were allowed to post any of that. That that is an interesting ball game, yeah. and the fact that you got to do that was unbelievable. Um, and and we're gonna go. I'm gonna go deeper with him. He's gonna let me, you know, 
follow him around. I'm going to see. He actually gave him one of his capes, which was a big deal. Yeah, like it was wild. He he signed the capote to me and gave it to me, which is a really big deal. Huge deal. Huge deal. Big, big deal. And 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 uh, I'm glad you remember it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it got worse. Yeah, I, uh, trust me, I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was, I was there. I was there. Uh, uh, unfortunately, um, so, so uh, let me let me see. I want to make sure that, that that was my that was one question I had. Th- this was another one. Was this a random picture or was this a picture that you that you took on purpose? Well, I took it on purpose, but again, you might call it random because one of the things you're doing as a photographer when you're working on a story, especially with like so. I shoot both digital and film. When I was with you guys, I was shooting all digital because I didn't want to check any luggage, so I didn't bring my film camera. I shoot large format and medium format film. So they're really big cameras. It's a lot of equipment. How big can one of those pictures be blown up? Massive. Like Like, how big? I mean, like I can blow it up, you know, 400 feet tall and it's going to look beautiful. Really? Yeah. I mean, when I'm shooting- On film? On film. Like like I, I shoot on a four by five, you know, negative. I mean, it's a- it's a massive canvas. And so you think of a 35 millimeter negative. Right. You can blow up one of those pretty big. But it's, um, I mean, large format film. But these are all shot digital. So on digital, you shoot a lot more because you know that you have that. Right, that's you can. right. And so, and I was also shooting with a new lens. I've never used a long lens ever. So I shoot all with mostly prime lenses, mostly wide angle. So I have to get really close to the action. Which is really dangerous when you're in a war zone. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're like, you're right with people that are shooting the guns and being shot at. So, but so something like this, uh, you probably fired off a lot of rapid shots to get that. I rarely do that. So oh. like, I don't put it like, like pro football sports. You know, I, don't, yeah. I don't do that. It's way too much to edit, but I did a whole lot more. So like that photograph, and this is another thing. This is where I'm a really lousy photography, but I love it. I love setting up the camera, even the digital camera, to where the settings mimic my black and white film, mm-hmm. meaning lower ISO, um, you know, I open the shutter so that there's blur. So there's all sorts of possibility for mistakes because I love mistakes. Yeah. I love it when there's a bit of blur and, and it becomes almost abstract. And it's like, I can't take the credit for it except for the fact that I'm I'm trying to let that happen. In, in yeah, the, but in I mean, the some image. of that, like you also have... I mean, I think that one lens that you had was uh, a cost five, about. I was going to say millimeter. Yeah, I mean, I mean, lens, right? I mean, this it costs more than this house, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like so. I mean, you know, I I get what you're saying, but at the same yeah. time, I mean, you're using some good stuff. Little yeah, little, I mean, little, I have great equipment. Yeah, the Bob Ross mentality, you know, happy mistakes, a, <laughs> happy little mistakes. Andy, I am Bob I'm going to tell you Ross, something yeah. right now. I'm going to tell you something. If I would have had the equipment he had, okay, I would have never had. I would have never, never had a real girlfriend. Yeah. All right, because I would I would have been in every girl's window in high school. Uh, from about ten, <laughs> from about ten meters away, uh, taking all the pictures I needed for life. Gross, <laughs> gross. Uh, uh, okay, so let's go into. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna, I might as well just show this last one that I that I found uh, interesting. Oh man! So what? that's th- this kid is 17 years old. Okay, he runs this farm. He runs it. He, he, he it's like meeting. He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. ever met. I mean, it's unbelievable. The way he holds himself, the demeanor, I mean, it's unbelievable. And this guy is only 17. I mean, the only difference between him right here and at 50 is that his face is going to look like a roadmap. 
<laughs> That's it. Other than that, the, this guy's not will be. You could go down there uh, twenty five years from now, and this guy's going to be exactly the same. Walks with his hands behind his back like a lord. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just you know he's you know he if he wasn't he could be his own dad. What 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 did you like about that photograph? I like the darkness of the face. You know, and 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 I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, but I mean, how you or how if you did that on purpose? Yeah, I mean, I shoot. I'm in a way. I'm I'm no longer a journalist because I I stop my what's called stop my camera down two stops, which I make everything darker. It's like a romantic, like a baroque painting, but it's mm-hmm. I'm I I like it because it's like I'm trying to say something about myself, but I look for it in people's eyes. Yeah, and you find that thing, but I intentionally make things dark it's just how well, i like the candidness images. of it is to be is what's most striking i mean he's not smiling he's not trying to portray any sort of uh, emotion it's just him it's candid it's him this is me yeah and, uh, that's and then the, yeah the juxtaposition of the contrast is really cool too but how, how, i mean like how, do you do you want to meet that guy yeah he looks pretty interesting to me i mean before we say anything about him i mean does that picture make you want to meet him well yeah i mean yeah i'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot you know, but answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you can tell, you know, I, I'm a fan of people's eyes. I like to look at people's eyes. You can tell, you can kind of see it's a window into the soul, you know, and you can see that there's uh there might be some pain in there. There's some pain in there and some, in some real life, you know, that's, and that's uh, amazing. Is it, there's a, there's a little girl that's uh, leak a little bit. It's part of this Nashville project. And, uh, she is, she's brilliant. Like uh, she might be a genius. I mean, just, crazy crazy smart and beautiful and always happy and as soon as i met her i could see through it i saw through her eyes and my family and i we've become good friends with her family now matter of fact she was we went and saw breakfast club last sunday she's 13 now and it's like one of her favorite movies we saw it at green hills theater the coolest thing ever the breakfast club yeah they played played it big screen it was so cool and we uh, i photographed her in the afternoon and she has let her guard down with me and this girl has been through a lot and her photo, it's like, she's so beautiful, but then her eyes turn and look at you, man. And you just see so much yeah. depth and hurt mm-hmm. in this girl. But she, if you just meet her and stand in the room with her, you never see it. But the camera, when, when somebody gives that to you and they open up, man, it's like the eyes say so much. That's what, that's how I feel. Oh, you're off. I was going to show him again. Well, no, I, I, I mean, this was another picture that you had mentioned that we talked about, and uh, what, what was the deal with this one? Well, this is a assignment I was working on in 2009, actually, with a, a UN group, um, and I was embedded with the Mosquito Indians in northern Nicaragua. That's, uh, you know, with the Iran-Contra affair, these were the Contra, you know, rebels, and uh, things were heating up, you know, again, back in 2009 and, and I was embedded with them. And this just, this was, this photograph was published. It's actually, I self published a book after that year. Cause that was such a 2010. I was in 14 different countries. It was just a, a nutty year. But, uh, and so another thing is I don't do any manipulation of my photos. Like, right. Okay. This, that was the other thing. Yeah. That was the other thing. But that photograph to me, just, I just, in a way it's superficial. I just love the light. And I is, mean, uh, is that film or digital? That's film. Yeah. You large, can tell a difference. It's like format. analog to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like an analog board or like versus a digital board. I mean, you could tell a difference. So you say, well, like a large format is like four by five negative. Yeah. Said? This is like, that was actually a 35 millimeter 
um, camera. So it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, you could equate that to being like 4K. It's just much more information into the film that when you blow it up, it still retains. Yeah, it's emulsion. It's a chemical. I mean, it's just the light collects on the chemical and in a different way than it does the digital processors. Now, there are some really big digital processors, but there's still nothing in existence um, like, like film. Like when you see the, the, the cameras they use, like in the, in the spy planes, I mean, those, it's incredible. Like these giant, you know, eight by 10 negatives with these massive cameras, you know, from 30,000 feet. I mean, and they could see everything. Incredible. Like you can see everything. So this picture, what's the, what's the most, uh, I don't know. What's the most, what's, which characteristic is being shown the most through film in this picture? Like what, what gets you the most? Well, what I'm saying is like, can you point out something about this photo? That's like that right there is the effect that that film gives. There's a, there's a texture. There's a quality. I think this was Porta um, film Kodak Porta film 160, I think. And it's literally different films have different, temperatures and tones and and it's just uh it's like velvet you know it's like the way it the way it the colors print and yeah, you know you look down on her bag and around it almost looks like it's painted you know yeah. like it's yeah and that's uh, the effect i love that i love yeah. that i mean that's and that's sort of what i'm i'm trying to do intentionally now i wasn't then i didn't like i now i'm like when i like one of the photographs i'll show you here from these dogs is you know it's it's it looks like a romantic painting, a Baroque painting. And it's, I just, I, 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 it's weird. It's like I said, it's almost superficial. Sometimes it's not even about the story. It's just the way the light falls. I just, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it. I mean, sometimes like I see light on somebody and the way it falls and I just, I have to capture it. And I love the, the way that the human form moves and then it becomes its own story outside of the, the news. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it becomes almost like a sculpture. You know? Don't you, don't you feel like though that, you know, it's the people that don't think that what's being portrayed in the news and, and, and the pictures, don't you feel like, you know, you need to be doing that stuff? You know, you know what I'm saying? Because it's almost like people that say, I would never want to be in politics because, uh, you know, it's, it's all corruption. It's all, you know, they, they, they ruin your life and all that kind of stuff. Are we not being hurt by the fact that people yeah. are like, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, this is killing us. I, I mean, would love to. Matter of fact, I mean, I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching a course at Fisk University in Nashville this semester, and we're, we're talking about developing a program there. My dream would be to have a program at Fisk that's like a workshop, like the Iowa Writers Workshop, to where we created a, a training program where people would Harvard would send their best and. Columbia and whatever, and they would come and, and we would work together to sort of work on the values. And then you could go back to whatever your industry is. But if you're working from that core value of, you know, protecting people and, and looking for the universals, like the, the things that we have in common. And it's like writing novels, like Hemingway novels, instead of, I don't know what the comparison would be. Like news is just it's not even pulp fiction. Like news is so superficial. It's such fake drama. I mean, it's like the worst kind of, you know, romance novel. I mean, it's just, it's like just a mad dumb. magazine compared to. Yeah, a, it is. It's like, cause it's so superficial. But it, but, and, fake. and it's a freaking truth too. Cause you know, as much as we even travel, I never see the amount. I mean, you, you really have to go into certain places where people are just so down and, and so depressed and so just, 
feel like that the world's against them to, to find this stuff that's because the problem with it, that's kind of the problem though, that we're seeing a lot too, is like a lot of this stuff is anecdotal. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're taking it's all anecdotal. Yeah. So the, here's how news works. Um, news is thematic and subject driven. Uh, and now uh, scholars can argue with me. I'll go to the mat with anybody. Here's how it works. Everybody, everybody, every person's story that you ever read in news is only they're using that person's story to illustrate the point they're making. That's how news works. It's like this story is about war. This story is about this war campaign. This story is about this event. It always gets down to how this person fits into the statistic, which is what are statistics. And it's like, so it's thematic reporting. It's always that. In the days of Life Magazine, it was inverted. That's why Life Magazine was so groundbreaking in how they functioned. Now, it became its own piece of shit in the end, but it was groundbreaking because it inverted it. For example, W. Eugene Smith's story on the country doctor, it wasn't illustrating rural medicine. That wasn't the point. The point was this doctor was an interesting person like Alvaro, and Eugene Smith went to be with that person. That person's life then brought you into rural America, but that wasn't its point. Right. You learned about all sorts of things through that person. It's inverted reporting. I am only interested now in that type of reporting. And nobody wants to hire me for that. I would love to do, uh, I still string for the New York Times, and I would love to do a piece on the Matadors for the New York Times. But honestly, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I just did, is that I don't think they would ever let me tell it the way I want to. I have to, if I tell the story about the Matadors, so you weren't there the next week, I cried. Okay, so backstory really quick is that I have a hard time crying. I mean, it's almost impossible. I mean, I, I long for it. I pray to God. I, I literally ask God to help me get into, I'm get like, it out. I'm like, am I a sociopath that I don't feel bad and can't cry about like what I've done wrong? And like, I can't cry. And, and I've cried, but anyway, when I was shooting the second Matador, it was a, it was a bad fight. And I don't know, I, I was watching him I'm shooting through that big lens. And when he was finishing the bull, when the bull was being killed, he put his hand on it and walked with it. It was so much mercy and grace. I literally started getting choked up and then I just started bawling. No kidding. And that night it was even more than the other guy. Like we stayed up all night talking about, he was asking me, what was it you saw? And I'm like, what I saw was I've always struggled with believing in God and I do believe in God. But in that moment I started crying because in that moment I was like, this is what grace looks like. Mercy. Like this in this moment of death, I felt like I'm the bull. Like this is what, this is how God treats me. Like God is so merciful. And I was like, I want to be able to tell the story and include that. I don't want to do this. Oh, like I mean, yeah, you never thin, be able to do that. Then little yeah, like, no. because that's actually how the bullfighters see it. Right. But the problem you got is that you got a handful of people that aren't going to, but I got to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, and I told, I told everybody, I mean, and you know, too, I mean, I could never watch that again. I would never watch that again. That's it's difficult because I'd never do it again. I'm I'm not advocating oh, I get the it. slaughtering of bulls, but but I know that what Maricho, Jose, that second bullfighter, after spending the whole evening talking with him, and I was sober that night, is uh <laughs> it's it's deep. And it so is deep. I, but I and that's why I choose to tell the stories I way the way I choose now. And back to an earlier question, the whole thing about money is that People that want my stuff really got to want it and they got to pay for it. 
And yeah. so, so okay, I got a question for you then. As a, as a person who is like you're a master of your craft, you're a master of your, your instrument. Do you feel that uh, technology and iPhones, portrait mode on the iPhone, things like that, are starting to kind of devalue what right. you do? Thank well, you. It, it definitely to, does. It definitely does. I was trying and, to say that. And actually, I'm really I have an iPhone, but I'm very anti iPhone. And here's why: um, the iPhone doesn't actually take a regular photograph. It's a composite. That's why it looks so good. So it's rapidly grabbing, it's bracketing the light, and then it's combining those into a single photograph. It's multiple pictures. That's like the HDR setting. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. But it's it's that's why it looks so good. It's fill light. But the, that's not what the world looks like at all. Oh, at all. The world and is a world I, of shadows. And that's what and that's what I was light temperatures are so, so different. So right. is it does it not get to you a little bit? With all of the technology, I mean, you to look at a picture and not want to touch it at all. It doesn't. It, you don't. It doesn't even affect you at all. Oh, I don't want to touch it because I, you you can believe me or not, but I don't touch it. And I want you to. I want a person to feel like, holy crap! And then they got to trust me on it. But once they trust me, it's like that becomes a portal now. They forget about me. It's like okay, that actually is there. Right. That light was there, and even though I paint with it, like I, you know, I I stop down my camera. But it's, that's actually, that's how the shadows were. That's, that's where the light was. Like this moment was there. I even don't, I don't remove, I think it's in here. I don't, I don't, if I got something on my lens, I don't take it off. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do anything to the photographs. I may dodge and burn just like you do a negative, like a little lighter shadow. But like this one, see that dot? Yeah. That's a flying saucer. (laughs) That's. That's a piece of dirt on my on my camera lens. So that's one of those dogs. Yeah. One of those shepherd dogs you were talking about in uh, in Georgia. Yeah, that dog is running thirty five miles an hour right there. Are you kidding me? He would have eaten this a lot. Yeah, put it on this one, Andy. I think that one's probably better. Yeah, thirty five miles an hour. And you're oh, and he's and running I'm, alongside. Yeah, and I'm shooting out of our our truck window. Wow. Yeah. So, Interesting. what is what? Show us some of these. What's yeah. like? What's the? Is this is this one of the puppies? Yeah. And again, it's like how do you tell a story, right? It's a I can just tell you about this puppy, but that's not how I'm telling stories. So I picked out these pictures for you because I didn't know what to talk about. I'm like so nervous about talking about things. It's like I'm not that smart. And it's like, but I I picked out some pictures that th- these are moments where my life was like deeply changed and that's, I want to tell that story. I don't want to just tell a, a national geographic story. Yeah. I want to tell you what happened to me. And so this is, this is Sopo. And so she is the third generation in this dog pack that I've followed. And her grandmother, Pato was the warrior of the pack. The one that saved me when I was first there in Azerbaijan. Then her mother adopted me, Maro. And she is, the, which was, she died this spring. Who did? Maro did. Oh. She was killed this spring, which is, yeah. Anyway, and this is, well, whatever. So she's a third generation and Maro was the mate of the alpha. So this dog will grow up to be a great warrior and the shepherds know it. It's through the lineage. So they're guarding this puppy like she is. She's so weak, she can't walk. So they migrate. They, they're transmigrational. We're gonna we're on a 
we're climbing through the mountains in the Caucasus Mountains, you know, at 11,000 feet. There, um, the tree line is 7,000 feet. So you're in the dead zone above 7,000 feet. It's not like Colorado where it's over 10,000 feet. Yeah. So you imagine there like 11,000 feet is a whole lot higher into the, the danger zone than, than here in, you know, in our mountains. But this dog can't even walk. She has to be carried. And on this morning when I saw this, again, it's a religious thing, but what went through my head was I've always struggled with, eh, I'm, why did God become a person? And a baby at that. And it was like in a moment when I saw Sopo being carried, I was like, holy shit. This is like <laughs> a picture of Jesus. This is like the God that becomes like the infant that has to be carried. Like like baby today, totally helpless and but gonna grow up one day to be a warrior. And I so shooting that, that was what was in my mind. Like I wanted to capture this moment and my audience is my daughter. Like she's an atheist or she thinks she is in. Sure. So, and I'm not trying to sell her on what well, I no, believe. No, 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 sure, yeah. But she's always asked me what I believe. And it's like, I'd rather show her a picture and tell her sort of this analogy that I have. And and so so this picture has several purposes. It's, it's part of the, you know, a, sort of a typical story a geographic story of this dog breed in this pack but i don't want to leave out this this deep experience that i've had with this pack and sort of what they've taught me as well does that make sense yeah. i mean this makes instagram and it's it just, just makes a, me want to get rid of instagram you know? it's this just is a like, cool picture too you know it's like just so that being said yeah. that you brought up national geographic i mean is that is but, that uh, is that do you feel the same way about national geographic yeah yeah i mean is there so, anybody that you like right now? Like, as, I mean, I mean, no, I, it's, no, it's just, uh, is there any, any, any place that you, you know, any I, magazine, any, any articles, any, any newspaper? I mean, is there any place? If there's a magazine in the world that, that wants to publish my stuff and work with me and let me tell these stories, with these layers, I'll entertain it. I haven't found them yet. So sorry, Jeff. I love my buddy. So true magazine, really cool magazine. Um, true magazine is an old old men's adventure magazine. It went out of publication, I think in the eighties. And then Jeffrey Gray, um, from New York magazine, New York times. Um, he bought it, bought the rights and redid it. And I was one of the first guys with him, you know, telling stories and they've kind of gone in a different direction, but he was kind of going there, but there's not a publication. I know that sort of working at the level of, you know, life magazine. And, and I've, I've, I've wondered, you ask about saturation. It's like, I don't know that, that it's marketable. I don't know that the world, I don't know it could happen, but I often wonder like, man, life magazine, when it was working well, was so extraordinary. There's nothing like it. Are we and talking it, up to the what? Eighties. Yeah. So the actually interesting fact, one of the last stories they did, I think it was 1989 and it was called living in poverty in America. And then it was an address like something, something Washington street, Portsmouth, Ohio my hometown oh Ohio boy and my last name was Holsinger and one of the characters like one people's story is Holsinger but no not a relation it was like all these families <laughs> living in this this one house it's a brilliant piece of journalism it was one of their when did life thing. go out of publication in 89 soon after that it really was like, it was 90 maybe I don't know like exactly when you can look it is up, it really but, been gone that long yeah I mean they still print things but 
Um, and it, maybe it went on for a few years after that. I don't know. But it's, so so. But even by then they shame. weren't. That's a shame that they started even, making cereal and that was it. But they weren't. Oh my god! <laughs> but the to me, if I had the money to to launch a magazine that that looked like it, I would do it in the same form. It, but it's not it's not profitable in the sense of oversized. Oh, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Big holding it. But I that's why I brought prints. I believe in tactile stuff, and that's why I sell my stuff the way I do. It's it. Part of the debate I'm having with myself right now is it really limits my stuff, but it's like, I don't want you just to have this on your phone looking at it. Cause what's that? I mean, I'd rather a few people have it that could hang it up in its proper size. Most of my stuff is really big and that you could enjoy it and experience it. And I'd rather speak to a few people than. So well, is there, than, is there a, pr- a print that I could get to put on that huge wall downstairs? Um, I, I mean, like, what if if I have to mortgage a third of my home? So I have two prices on my. Phones. Oh my God! Here we go. This is when it gets down to the nitty gritty. So the is there a twenty five fifty in this? There's a there's a price that most people can't afford, and that's how I you know yeah. earn some money, and then the other price is free. By free, I mean like I hurt myself with it because even the cost of my prints, even unframed or anything, they're pretty expensive because it's. The They're highest huge. paper and the you know the best. That what if there I is. just want an Office Max one? Um, <laughs> what if I just want playful. a, a forty point, foot Office Max? So I either I either charge the the big price or it's I give it to somebody. Can so I? Can I? Can you I, can have one. No, I don't want one. I don't want one like that. I'll pay for it. I'll it just be it'll be monthly installments until I die. But no big deal. <laughs> what can you can you say? No, I, maybe I, that's even a bad. I, now I won't even ask. I won't even ask. Ask. I want to know how. What's the best? What's the biggest one? I mean, that, I mean, are we talking? Put your kids through college. So right now there are four images um, that I actually exhibited last year. None of them have sold yet, and um, there are three of them are fifty thousand, and one is twenty five. Okay. 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 I mean that that's doable. And that's I mean, the price tag you put on them. That's that, uh, that's what you're hoping to sell them for. Or is that's that... they they'll either that's they're only going to be sold for that. Yeah. Now these are are too big. I I don't think I'd ever give any of these away because they're pretty expensive to print and have made. But what would you do with them at that at that point? If they if, if they're they in storage, did. yeah. But I mean, you so right. So if they don't sell, then then you would what do you do? I mean, do they, they just sit in there? That's a good question. So I'd never done this before. Like we did this pop up show last year. And, and again, it was one of those things where I just said yes to it, but I wasn't ready to do a full on show. And I did it with a few other artists and, and I did it and they're like, you know, their prices were typical prices. They, I was the only photographer and they were, you know, from five to $7,000 on their artworks. And, and like, even they were like, what the fuck? I'm like, these are the prices on these because they're that special to me. And, and I have, I mean, one of those photographs are, I think a copy of them is the 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 one is here. But so why wouldn't it never having done this before? Why wouldn't you start it out at a price that would get these things out a little bit? And maybe I should. I don't know. I just, well, I mean, if you're looking at business, the business side of this would be, you know, you're, there's no demand yet, right? Yeah. So so you make the demand by getting this in a few people's houses, and so where people look at them, and and then the demand goes right. I mean, that's how well. This, to answer your question from way back, which also answers that, which is, you know, how I, why I do what I do in 2010, Noah and I, we were, I think it was 2010. 
there's the most expensive photograph ever sold. And I always forget this guy's name. I think he's German. And it's like the river on the Rhine or something. It's, it's almost yellow river by IP freely. I knew that one. (laughs) It's like almost abstract. I think it's four point some million dollars or whatever. A picture. The photograph. Yeah. And it's, it's digital and it's manipulated, which is weird. And when that sold, we were walking, we were in South Lake, Texas. We just got back on an assignment and we were talking about it. I was so incensed by it. And I said, you know what? That's when I made the decision. I was like, cause people were pressing me to do what other people in my world do, which is get a gallery rep and start doing volumes of my photos and all that. And I was like, you know what? I have no interest in running a photo business. It's like, I love doing what I want to do, like what I do. And I was like, here's what I'm going to do. And I was like, as a joke, I was like angry. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like that photograph is garbage. I said, <laughs> I'm not going to, what is it? Oh, well, uh, what I got is Peter, Peter Licks. No, that's somebody. fake. Peter Licks going to go to fuck. <laughs> he's going to go to jail. Why? That guy's a fraud. Why? So Why? He, I love Peter Lick stuff. Do you? I mean, I just like the light thing, you know, where you put the special Peter ball. Lick is like ripping people off. So Peter Lick bought his own photograph. That's what they're pretty sure of. So he's not the official most expensive photograph because he didn't sell it through Southbees or anything. He he did a backdoor purchase. They think he bought it for himself just to have that notif- like notoriety. Peter Lick is. But I mean, it's his. What? The Pond Moonlight. Edward Edward Steakin. That's one of the older ones. Yeah, there's another one. In How much did that one go for? Uh, two point nine. Yeah, no, two point nine million. Yeah. So anyway, so before Peter Lick, yeah, that's a whole. No, other no, no, no. Hold on for a second. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I go to Key West a lot. Okay, Peter Lick is looking for guys like you who, who he's going to tell you that you're going to buy a, a photograph that's an investment. It's going to it's going to you're going to be able to turn around and resell it someday and it's a lie. You'll never be able to resell that thing and recoup your money ever. It's going to it's like a a freaking you bought a Chevy like Impala <laughs> and it just lost half its value off the Are lot. You kidding you're never me? getting your money back. Andreas Gursky. And Gursky does the marketplace. No, it's an, yeah, maybe it is. And it's like the Rhine river. Or it's something the like Rhine river, yeah, the yeah, lower yeah. Rhine, yeah. 4.3 million. Yeah. And that's, and yeah, you're right. He's the same guy that did the, uh, 99 cent. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of a cool photo. Though. He's an interesting guy. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like, Hey, do me a favor. Look up Peter Lick and find out and look, look up a Peter Lick a painting from uh, uh, 2000 or a, a picture from 2000 and how much it's worth right now. See if you could find that information. So he has this whole, he has all these salesmen. It's like, basically they're like the, they're the whole model of how he does his sales is the same as the, is the timeshares. It's the same principle. I mean, it's right. So that, okay. That, that kind of goes to my point. It's, it's, it's you, you can't, it's sometimes not about what you feel. It's about what Yeah, I should knock that because my, my friend Adam will hey Adam buddy Adam Adam's got like they got he's got a couple of these and well no th- my, my point of it is is like I, you know that's most art is done in this fashion that I mean let's face it I mean there's some shitty paintings that you know that people buy their own paintings to make themselves into something or or a certain yeah. uh, gallery right so whatever that's not you so really to me it's like you gotta you know you get those paintings down to 12 5 and 25. You get them in somebody's houses because you don't care. You only do four a year. And but let me then finish my story why, why I did it this way. And again, I think you might be right. And I may need to revisit it and check my <laughs> ego. But here's why I did what I did. I did it 
being almost arbitrary is I was so pissed off about this photograph not like telling us something about us as people. I was just, and I, I said, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to say no to all those galleries. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to sell a single photo until I have something that's just worthy to tell the story. And I said, and when I do it, I'm going to charge $110,000 for it. And I'm going to burn the negative. Only one will ever be made. And, it'll, and, and I said, and maybe then, cause what the way that art works is first somebody buys it. And then the resell is when, they in auction. That's when they get those big prices. That's how art gets its value. And photos don't usually have that, but it's like, and my idea was I'm going to take back the most expensive spot in photography, but take it back for humanity. And again, I was just, I was like just piping off. And then I started writing about it and thinking about it. And then I just wouldn't sell anything. So, you know, Patricia Arquette, the actress. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in Haiti. We're like getting shit face drunk in 2012 <laughs> and she's like, I want to buy this, this one photograph that was in national geographic. She's like, I want to buy that photograph. And I was like, here's the price. And we were in Haiti and it was a photograph in Haiti. It's like the price is you're going to come with me to go visit this girl. And then I'm going to give you the photograph. But the price is you got to go meet her. You got to meet her family. And she wouldn't do it. I wouldn't sell it to her. And then her agent contacted me when she got back to, to California. I was like, you know, I want that photograph. I'm like, I told you the price. And she's like, ah, I'm like, no, that's the price. You have to go and visit Charlene and know her. And my thinking was, I was like, if she does this, everybody that walks in her house, she's going to tell that story. She's going to tell Charlene's story. She's going to be so vested in that girl. Yeah. That won't be a photograph anymore. That's going to be like, she's going to she wouldn't be, do it. She wouldn't do it. Yeah. And it was like, and it's like I wouldn't sell it to her. And then that became my thing. I was like, I went even deeper to my commitment of not selling. Anything. <laughs> yeah, and great. so I didn't sell anything until 2015. Because, and then I've, because you, because you were driving the Chevy Impala. And then, when I, move on. And then when I did, I, I, somebody bought one of them and, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm, I may rethink it, but if I do, it's not going to be just to make more money. It's, I want to make money. And I, but more important to me would be people getting access to it, having the photo and telling the story. If there's anything, that's the thing is that, and my daughter, daughter challenges me on that is that, you know, more people that I should let more people in on the story, but I want them in on the story. I want them to know the people that I've met because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's like, I want you to meet the people I'm meeting. I want you to meet Alvaro and know him and the matadors and, and even my story, I want you to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want to, I want to tell you like what I'm learning and I don't want it just to be a picture on a wall. Now that, I guess that's the age old thing of the artist. Buddy, I'm gonna, uh, we, I, yeah. I, we have to leave it there, yeah. but I got to tell you, this has been, I could tell, I could talk to you all Man, night. Freaking I love long. you guys. This I want to, I want to do it again. Yeah. I want to do it again. And next time we'll have a little bit better idea on uh, <laughs> how to get stuff up on the screen. But everybody, uh, F flip uh, Holsinger and, and you can look it up, look it up at uh, flip Holsinger.com and some of his photos and stuff. And, and we'll, we're going to do some other stuff in the future. I, this is really interesting. 
Uh, and next week we got a, a Hope Song. Uh, Bob uh, from Hope Song is going to be here talking about writing songs with the vets. So it's it's going to be good. We appreciate every, thanks for coming, Flip. This has been oh, great. Man, I'm my glad pleasure, I got to meet honestly. you. And we're not. I, I know. I know. There's so much more, and I and and then I need to get that free uh, painting from you. But uh, as as far as that goes, we're all good. We'd like to thank Aurora Nutriscience. Uh, 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 who else? Who else? Guidance Whiskey and uh, Verdoliac Law and, and uh, Sony Audison. Sony Audison. Hertz. Hertz. Uh, Hertz. Sony Audison and Audison. Hertz Audison and then Sony Mobile. Hertz Donuts. Oh my God! <laughs> Seriously. Andy. Hey, the donuts hurt me. <laughs> and then uh, just one more time for this, Andy. I just wanted to show you in the gym one more time. If you could bring in my. my, my, my oh, you want to show me in the gym? Yeah. If you could just bring this up <laughs> one more time, I'd appreciate it. Just one more time. Just, uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe one more time after this. Let's just do it again. Andy's going to hit the gym. Damn, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. That Over me. and that's all. It's you in the gym. No problem. That's not me. So are these real or not? What do you mean? Are these, uh, did you print these off? You just got these printed off for the show. Yeah. I just printed these off for us. Yeah. You, let me put them up in here. All right. Or just a couple of them. Yeah. I want to put them up in here. Put them you right there. You don't know the stories of them. Well, that, but you got to come back. Okay. There That's you what go. you got to do. There That's you what you got to do. Oh, all of them. Okay. Well, we can go that route too. <laughs> I can make a collage out of these and put yeah. them on the wall downstairs. Just, some of them are weird. Like if you don't know the story, like that is weird. You don't know the story. That's naked people. That's naked people. Voodoo. That's guy though. Yeah. Well, okay. What? One more. One more story. What is the story behind this? Because even Andy this one? was. Yeah. So. We'll end on this one. Yeah. So last fall. Um, so basically, there's a bed. It's a white room with a couple of towels and a big curtain hanging down. Yeah. And so a friend of mine asked me to, um, to do this street art thing with them last year, and where people do paintings, and I've started writing all my photographs. And she said, why don't you bring some of your photographs and do that live for people? And I was like, this is a dumb idea. But I <laughs> I did it. I said yes. And I got there. I had to totally like get drunk to do it. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and that, I, print, I don't know. I printed this photograph. I took this photograph in 2008. I never showed it to anybody. And I, I, I know what I felt when I took it. But it wasn't a clear thought. But I felt it. And yeah. so I pulled this photo out. And I told him, Sophia, my daughter, was like, what are you doing with that photograph? And I said, I'm going to write a confession on it tonight. I knew I was going to do it. It wasn't even intentional. It was like, I had to do it. So I set up in printer's alley and I did, it. I printed it really big. And this couple came by before I even wrote on it. And they, they wanted to buy it. I was like, well, it's not for sale. I'm just kind of doing this. And then they came back and I'd, I'd already written on it. And I, I was weird. Like I wrote about my divorce and I wrote about like the empty bed and, it was just this stuff, like all this stuff came out of me. It was cathartic for me. And the, they came back and they're like, you're in printer's alley to do one thing on a Saturday night <laughs> and get drunk. I mean, you're not there to buy art. <laughs> and this, they just like threw money at me. They just had to have it. It was like this cheap paper print or whatever. And they paid a couple hundred bucks for this thing that I was just like, whatever you want to give me. And, and, but it was like, it was so meaningful to her, but it was good for me because that night I was like, this works. Like there's definitely a, a world for this kind of communication. Oh my God. But, all day long. I could take these pictures. Matter yeah. of fact, just leave these here for me. <laughs> They're yours. Yeah. I mean, you could do this all day. People love this. 
right? <laughs> Especially when you put it in that price range. And it still has some sort of heartfelt. Thing. And maybe maybe it should be my agent. Not, but I'm loving that. I'm loving the writing on them and well, I don't want. Those I, 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 I will say this. <laughs> One thing I, I I know, and Andy can contest to this as well. But when I turned music into a job, it it really lost a lot for me, and it took a lot of the creative aspect out of it. That even wanting to do it, you know, and it's only been through doing it for so many years that I've been creative at all. Because you know, you just. If you stick with anything, you're going to eventually do something, you know, with it. Um, but anyway, no, leave these here. I got, I, I, let's see, that's two, four, six. I mean, yeah, that's enough. I need to, I got a house payment. <laughs> Flip, thanks so much. Man, Andy, thanks a lot. I appreciate you. Yes, and uh, this is How Valid is Validity, episode 24. We'll see you uh, next time uh, on Wednesday night. Thanks so much. Taggart River Entertainment and Sunny's Patio Pub and Refuge presents April 3rd singer-songwriters Jared Demon. Love and Theft, Chris Weaver, Ward Gunther, Saturday, April 3rd at Sunny's in Nashville, limited seating available, tickets at sunnyspatioparty.eventbrite.com. Can't come to Nashville? Check out the Chris Weaver Band Facebook page to purchase the Facebook Live event.